Welcome to the biggest thing to hit the financial advisory ESG community, environmental, social, and governance. I'm Jonathan Kavaznik, CHFC Wealth Advisor. With over 25 years advisory experience, I've been advising clients so they can make a positive global impact. Hello, and welcome to the ESG Players Podcast with your host, Jonathan Kavaznik, one of the leading ESG advisors in the country. Good morning. Uh, welcome to our webinar uh, this month. Uh, we're going to have a very uh, interesting uh, topic today, uh, life's big moments. And what I mean by that is we're talking about things that happen in life, uh, life cycle events or planning events that you and I might need to be aware of so we can make sure that we're doing proper planning and taking care of uh, things that will really impact our future. And so we're going to go through kind of a formal presentation uh, today. And I think if everyone wants to follow along, it would be great if you just want to ask any questions as we go, go ahead and put them in the box and enter your questions and I'll answer them uh, as we go and when it's timely. If you have additional questions you want to send us after the presentation, of course, you could email me or give me a call. But I think uh, today's topic is going to be uh, very uh, interesting and very intriguing. And so hopefully you'll get some value out of it today. Um, and we'll run about uh, half hour, 45 minutes, and uh, then we'll be able to uh, continue on with our day. So let's start with the presentation. I'm going to um, see how this is working. Uh, pause. So I think we should be good. All right. So planning for life's big moments. And as I mentioned, what that means is that we're going to uh, talk about what is important to us uh, as far as figuring out what's coming in our future and what things we need to be planning for. And when we talk about those types of ideas, uh, we're really relating to things of nature that are um, these types of ideas, right? So planning for our big moments is going to be how our relationships working, uh, whether we are uh, in a relationship, whether we're single, whether we have children, whether we have uh, grandchildren. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the importance of making a large purchase and how that can impact your overall financial plan. Uh, we're going to talk about educational planning, whether it's going to be for yourself, uh, for a child or a grandchild. Uh, or for someone special in your life that you want to just help them do their planning and make sure that there's some educational funding. We'll talk about how those can impact your retirement and how to find a balance between doing planning for larger purchases and also for educational planning, but how you can incorporate that into your retirement planning. And then one of the big things that uh, many already understand is that a change in our health can really impact how our plan works and can really make us have to think about whether or not we need to adjust and make different changes based on a change in our health. Um, a lot of times, especially with the 2020 uh, COVID and pandemic, people talked about whether they should just be retiring and stopping early. And so again, things that change in the healthcare and in our health itself can really impact our overall plan. Then we'll talk a little bit about aging and caregiving and how we need to make sure we're accounting for that. And then the last piece would be our legacy, of course, is after we've taken care of the things that we feel are important for ourselves and making sure we're uh, planning and taking care of, how can we make sure that the future generations or other people by leaving a legacy behind can be affected as well. Okay, so let's dive in. Um, I think one of the key things that will be really important is that we need to make sure that you have a team of, of trusted advisors. So, you know, in order for us to do some really good planning, the key is to make sure that you have a good financial advisor that you like to work with to make sure you could connect hopefully with an elder care and estate planning attorney, an accountant and other professionals that can really impact how your plan will work, but to have everyone be kind of cohesive and working together. And then to get those things organized that those uh, professionals and those people helping you are going to need in order to make your plan work and then kind of put together that formal plan. Right? So once we have our team of professionals who we can trust and who we really want to work with and we want to get our information organized and get it all down on paper, then we want to make the plan and then we want to be able to proceed with confidence that we know we have a game plan and we have it written down and that we can proceed with that to kind of make sure that if things come up that we didn't uh, anticipate, that we'll be able to adjust and make uh, adjustments to the plan, we'll be able to make adjustments to our individual needs and continue with confidence that we know we have a way to succeed at what we're trying to do from our financial planning investment perspective. So let's talk about uh, the key is um, 
part of what we need to look at when we're talking about our planning is uh, relationships, right? So one of the things we want to consider is um, how will we share our expenses with a spouse or with uh, a partner or uh, with someone else that we're sharing our expenses and assets with and discussing if we have a marriage of people or we have a marriage of partnerships or if we have people coming together and sharing expenses and assets, um, we also might have some liabilities. And so we want to have a conversation, of course, at the beginning of that relationship as to how that would be handled and how we're going to be responsible, whether together or individually or uh, equally or unequally, but just talk about our expenses, the assets that we bring to the relationship. And it may be a, a first marriage, it may be a, a partnership, or it may be a second marriage or third marriage. Uh, but we really want to know what we're bringing to the table and consider those things as we combine our assets and our expenses. And we also want to then think about how do we have our health care coverage? Um, we want to think about how that relates to each other. We want to talk about beneficiaries and how we would expect each other's assets to get dispersed. And then we want to talk about our estate planning and things of a legacy and kind of bring that together, especially when we have a, a relationship and we're having it be with, uh, again, a marriage or a partner or somebody who's going to share our life with us. We want to also understand what we're both bringing uh, to the table and then understand how we anticipate and understand each other's uh, ability to commingle those assets or commingle that debt. All right. So, again, uh, a lot of times it isn't going to just be a first marriage. Um, it's going to be 25% of the population is going to actually be people who were married before, and over a million people a year uh, end up divorced per year. And so we want to consider that when we do our financial planning and how we have our assets. Again, if we're coming to a, a marriage for a second time and we already have assets or we have already have debts or we have children from previous marriages, we want to have a plan to understand how all of that is going to fit together and what would happen if something happened to one of us to the assets and to the debt. And so that's really part of the planning, especially in uh, this idea of a lot of divorces per year of a million a year and especially the idea that a lot of people are getting remarried, we want to take that into account when we do our financial plan and make sure that we have a plan in case that uh, comes our way. All right, so let's talk about uh, getting organized with separating our assets, right? We want to make sure, you know, how are the assets titled? We want to get legal advice to how they should be titled if we want to uh, make a plan to make sure how they transfer to children or grandchildren, or if they're supposed to transfer to a nonprofit or a donation but to really make sure that we have our assets owned and separated in a fashion that is in line with what we're trying to accomplish in our relationships and in our family uh, units. So again, work together with the trusted professionals, have friends and family give you their feedback and make sure that they understand kind of what your wishes are, and then understand the implications if we go into dividing retirement accounts and social security benefits and who gets what and how is that gonna play out if something happened to the relationship, either through a divorce or through a uh, untimely death or an untimely uh, healthcare uh, issue, right? All right, so once we kind of account for that, we understand how our assets are gonna work together and how we're gonna commingle our retirement accounts and our investment accounts and what would happen uh, to our social security benefits. Maybe we have some pensions, our healthcare coverage. You know, we figure out how all that at the front end is gonna work together then we also maybe are thinking about a larger purchase and we want to make sure that we're planning for that. So sometimes a large purchase might be just a purchase of an expensive car, or sometimes it might be a second home or it might be a cabin, but we want to really put that balancing into our long-term plan so that we can account for that and it doesn't derail some of our needs that we might have for income or other desires later on uh, in our retirement years, right? So again, we want to think about can we handle the taxes and maintenance of a large purchase if it happens to be a property or a home? Um, are there any community rules that we don't know about when we make these large purchases? You know, does the house come furnished or not furnished? What are the budgets that we should be setting? So again, um, when we're kind of thinking about our financial planning and we're looking at an overall picture and we want to make sure that we have enough assets together or individually to make sure we can accomplish our goals, we want to account for all the things that could happen in a large purchase, whether the purchase is gonna be in the immediate future, uh, let's just say it's in the next year, or maybe it's gonna be a five or 10 year goal, is how does that fit into the overall plan? 
and having that be taken into account when we're really trying to figure out the proper way to plan for down the road. So again, is a large purchase on the horizon? For some people it might not be, but for other people, again, it might just be the possibility of a second home, a boat, a car, but all of that can impact our financial plan and our needs uh, for not only income down the road, but how would it impact our income if we deplete some assets that we were planning on using to generate income that we were gonna use later on in life. So again, we wanna take that into account. We wanna understand how that's gonna work and get a plan together so we understand how a large purchase or some unforeseen large expense could really um, interfere with what we had thought was gonna happen and then find out that we're not really prepared if it does happen, okay? Again, purchasing a second home, here are some of the ideas that we might not always think about. It's not just the home itself, but it's how to pay for the taxes, the maintenance, the insurance, um, You know whether or not we're gonna have an issue with the estate later on and how are we gonna plan on selling that or are we gonna leave that to somebody who they're either gonna sell it or utilize it, right? Or are we gonna be able to travel once we make these purchases? So all of that kind of goes into the thought process when we're trying to plan on what our retirement or our future plans will look like and to taking into account that there's some other things in addition to just the purchase itself that could impact our plan and understanding what those might be and still thinking about those in the big picture and not finding out later, oh my gosh, I didn't understand the taxes were so high or I didn't know it'd be so expensive to maintain. And then we find ourselves in a situation where we can make an adjustment, but Maybe we're not gonna have enough assets to do everything we thought, and it'd be nice if we had a plan so we could kind of account for that ahead of time and not get un, uh, you know, not get surprises that we're not really aware of that are coming. Right. So again, we wanna get organized. We wanna review our existing assets. We wanna check our credit scores, make a list of the pros and cons of borrowing if we're gonna make large purchases, identify the trade-offs in order to make the purchase to see if it makes sense to take a loan or if it makes sense to pay uh, cash or if it makes sense to use some of my assets, right? And we wanna just really make sure that it doesn't upset any other key goals that we might have in relationships uh, and also in regards to generating future income for our own retirement goals that we thought we might be able to have happen. But then we came along and had this purchase that we really didn't understand the full extent of the impact it would have, is to take that all into account at the front end and kind of put together this plan idea and then we can get a good picture of whether or not it's realistic or what would be realistic and make our purchases and our plans based on that. So let's talk a minute a little bit about how, sometimes how education planning also can affect our overall picture, right? Because a lot of times people are thinking, am I gonna be able to pay for my children's education or sure would be nice to do that? Am I supposed to save for my own retirement? Am I supposed to save for my grandchildren? Um, what am I supposed to do as far as paying for the education? And how will I know if I'm okay doing that and not affecting my own retirement plan needs? And so we really wanna take that into account and figure out what kinds of things would come into play when we're trying to plan for educational planning, not necessarily for ourselves, right? But for our children or our grandchildren. So again, think about we're in a situation where we're trying to figure out how we're gonna start doing some savings for some college planning. And we wanna account for figuring out you know, how many children are we gonna have to pay for, right? Is it gonna be, I have a couple of children, I have seven grandchildren, am I gonna try to pay for everyone? Am I gonna try to help certain ones? Um, you know, and how much will that cost? So again, putting together an idea of upfront, what will it cost in tuition and what would it cost for somebody to go to college and how am I going to participate in that? And to what extent would that impact my overall plan based on how many children I wanna uh, help and how many dollars it's gonna cost me and how much I'm gonna contribute and whether or not I should start saving specifically for that or whether or not there's some tax implications that I could take advantage of or maybe be beneficial if I was able to start doing some savings now for my uh, kids or grandkids education. So we wanna kind of put together that into the overall plan and understand that you know the tuition is gonna be uh, costly potentially depending on the type of schooling and we wanna make sure if there's a way for us to have some tax benefits and also have some planning benefits of not derailing our overall plan for our own retirement or for future needs of ourselves, incorporating that into a plan so that you're prepared and ready to do that. All right, so we have to have kind of a, what they call the critical conversation. 
you can see from the slide here, right, is parents whose children are at least in the 10th grade, 35% of them have not even discussed the total cost of college. So again, it starts with the conversation. I think it's really important that we understand through talking with each other, what is the potential cost and what will be the potential impact and what are the expectations of what we think is realistic and then having that conversation. Um, but again, you can see 35% of the people in this particular survey didn't even have the discussion about the total expense and the total impact it might have. And 50% of the parents actually expect the children to contribute, which is another conversation we wanna have. Whether or not we expect the kids and the grandkids to participate in the expense, whether or not we expect them to contribute by getting student loans or expect them to contribute by actually paying their own way for tuition, okay? So again, there's a lot of energy around, should I be saving for my own retirement? Should I be saving for my own needs? How much of a sacrifice should I be making for my children to get their education? Um, but again, putting it down on paper and trying to come up with some realistic numbers and a realistic expectation would really help in us understanding whether or not we're in line with what we think can happen or if we're being unreasonable or our expectations are not uh, very realistic. But again, we wanna take this into account and start that conversation. And even if we find out that we're not able to fulfill it 100%, at least we know what we're uh, potentially have to address and deal with so we can make the adjustments and address it sooner rather than waiting until we have very little time for our ability to make adjustments to our overall plan and trying to figure out how we're gonna pay for things in the short term when we could have maybe had a lot longer time to be able to do that, okay? There's just a little brief slide. A lot of times people ask, well, what are my options when I'm trying to save for college education for uh, my kids or for other people's children or for grandchildren? You know, again, uh, we don't necessarily uh, have to only save or put aside money or give gifts to people um, for college education that are our kids. We can do that for other people's children or other people that we value and that we wanna make sure that we can contribute and help them uh, get educated. And so these are kind of the three primary ways we can do that. We can do it through the 529 college plan. We can do it through an UGMA or uh, UTMA. And then we can do it through the Covidal uh, custodial IRA uh, plan. And each of them has its pros and cons. Um, and we could talk a little bit about what that would mean uh, in general. But again, the 529 on a high level is gonna be a tax-free growth that you'll get to utilize all of the earnings that that account makes for qualified college expense or secondary high school expense tax-free. So it's a really strong way if you really felt like you wanted to help somebody, whether it's, a, again, a child or a grandchild or a niece or a nephew or just a family friend, um, that's gonna be a great way to, to get that going. There's gonna be the UGMA, which doesn't have the same tax advantages, but also has some tax benefits. And then there's gonna be the custodial accounts invested as the covetal uh, educational IRA that you could utilize as well, okay? So again, we wanna get the conversation going. That's kind of the key and do it early in our planning process so that we don't find ourselves scrambling when the child's in 10th or 11th grade or they're a senior in high school and now we're saying, how are we gonna pay for this? We have our, you know, ourselves a plan and we give ourselves 10 years, 15 years, 18 years to kind of accumulate. There's some ways we can take advantage of the tax codes and some, of these savings plans and some of the other issues that we wanna address and getting organized and having that conversation early. So again, treat it like we're saving for a bill potentially. We can make automatic deposits and have it dedicated to someone's college education and it will accumulate over a long period of time and then hopefully we'll have a lot more of an account value that we can utilize to help supplement or even pay for that college rather than finding ourselves addressing our other accounts that were designed for different purposes and then derailing our whole retirement plan or our other uh, planning needs for big purchases or things of that nature, okay? So again, the, the biggie is our retirement and we always have to address whether or not um, we wanna sacrifice our own retirement needs and our own retirement lifestyle to help either make large purchases or help somebody else with their uh, educational needs, right? And if we can put that hey, down John. on paper, yep. Sorry to interrupt you, we do have a question. Excellent. And it's in regard to the education plans and what happens if your child decides they don't wanna to go to college? 
So um, that brings up the point of really deciding what kind of uh, educational account we want to utilize. I'm just going to slide back here. So again, it, the 529 plan, we're really kind of boxed in to the idea that it's going to get used for educational uh, purposes. Now, we're able to put a lot of money in there. We're allowed to actually put up to $150,000 a year if we're a married couple, and it'll grow tax-free. If it doesn't get used for secondary or college purposes, you're allowed to transfer it to another child or another family relative. So again, it has to get used eventually. Um, it can't stay there forever. But if you put the money in there and it turns out that that particular child decides not to do any secondary uh, education, um, you can transfer it to other children or other grandchildren or other family members. Uh, the UGMA and the UTMA account is a little more restricted because it's more flexible going into it because you could actually spend the money on anything the child uh, needs. However, you won't be able to transfer those funds to another child without cashing in the account. So again, that's a great question as far as a lot of people uh, save a lot of money and then they find out that they either don't have all their children going to college. Um, another technique that a lot of families like to try is they do a we call kind of a front end loading up of the older child, meaning that if you have three or two or multiple children, you put a lot more money in the oldest child's name with the idea that then you'll be able to transfer that to the younger children if the older child doesn't need all the funds or doesn't need any of the funds. Yeah. So another neat caveat with the uh, educational planning to think about as well is a lot of people are concerned that I'll get penalized if my child or grandchild gets a scholarship and gets some sort of grants. And the college savings plan allows us to make withdrawals out of the plan as if they were qualified, dollar for dollar, the equivalent of whatever the uh, scholarship or the grant would be. And again, that would al allow us to know we could go into the plan saving, find out that our kids actually got some scholarships and grants and not get penalized for doing a good job of saving only to find out that we didn't need the funds and we couldn't get them out of the plan. So, um, yep, that's another way to do that. But it also uh, addresses, you know, secondary high school that that opened up a couple of years ago and trade school. So, again, if they went to the trades for electrical, plumbing, welding, anything of that nature, uh, veterinarian technician, uh, they're going to be a dental hygienist, right? Any institution of higher education is going to count for that. So, lots of ways we can make adjustments. Uh, the hardest part, of course, is having the money there available and, and doing a good job of saving it. Then we can figure out if that happened, how we can make the adjustment later. So again, thank you for that, that question because that comes up a lot. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people on the webinar are also thinking what would happen in that scenario. So thank you. Excellent. So let's talk a little bit about um, the retirement section, which is for a lot of people, uh, it's a big it's a big piece of what they're trying to accomplish. They either got a good early start, and so they've been saving a long time, or we didn't get a very good early start, and so we're trying to play catch up, and we're really relying on sometimes what the market does for us to help us out, or we're not a huge risk taker. And so I think when we understand all of those things that go into our retirement, we want to take as much control as the slide shows of those areas that we can. So we want to know. Again, what will our expenses be? Well, if we can plan for that, then we know um, what potentially we have to have in savings, right? What will our healthcare look like? What are our income sources gonna look like? And whether or not our risk tolerance is the same or changes. Of course, as we get older or as we get closer to retirement, we're less likely to wanna take a risk that the money we did a really good job of saving and that we have available to help us be our nest egg later on for retirement that it would disappear to, to some sort of risk we took or market conditions. And so again, we have to monitor that and keep that into uh, the front of our mind that as we're aging and as we're getting closer to needing the resources of the assets, maybe we need to address and continue to address our risk tolerance and make adjustments there. So again, this is all that we wanna take into account all of these ideas of what, what are my expenses gonna look like? Are they gonna go up because I'm gonna travel a lot? Are they gonna go down because I'm not gonna uh, do much? Um, you know, Typically what we find with our uh, clients as well is there's kind of a window where they're very active and then as they get to a certain age, they start to become less active 
And so they really want to make sure they can have enough resources and income that you did good planning for that in between years. And then as you get older, where you're less likely to be traveling or be out there spending the same amount of uh, resources and money that you planned for that. And you said, I didn't really expect that I was going to need as much income later on. And so therefore, you can make a good evaluation of whether or not you're on pace to have enough assets for the retirement uh, that you're trying to plan for. Okay. And again, so it starts with having the conversations, trying to figure out what your goals and expectations would be, what kinds of things are you going to do in retirement, and then envisioning what kind of lifestyle you're going to have, and including that uh, into the overall picture, and then understanding if there's ways, if we're behind, maybe we can do some catch-ups in our retirement plans through work, right? We can put a little bit of extra money in there. Or if we're ahead, maybe we can reduce our risk since we're way ahead of the uh, needs that we're going to have, and we don't really need to risk our assets to make more money, only to find out that we took a risk, and all we did was risk our future income needs where we didn't really need to do that. So again, by putting together a, a, the plan and putting things down in writing and having that conversation of, here's what I think I want to accomplish, and here's my expectations, you can really uh, adjust and take out some of the unknown, but also have the flexibility in case something unforeseen does happen. Maybe your health declines, or maybe you have an unexpected expense related to a homeowner's association, which seems to be very common in today's world where I buy a condominium, I'm in a complex, all of a sudden they determine that maybe somebody didn't do the siding correctly or there's water damage, and you get a big assessment that you either didn't expect or you probably can't even afford. Um, what is that gonna do to our plan and how can we easily adjust or at least what do we need to adjust? So we wanna keep those things in mind. And then as we get into our 60s, we're gonna talk about, well, maybe we're gonna apply for social security and when should we get onto social security and should I wait until I'm fully uh, qualified at age 70 where I get my maximum benefits or should I start taking it at age 62 when that's the first age that I'd be possible to start taking some? And is it worth it to start earlier? Is it worth it to wait? And all of those things we want to address as we get into our 60s and what our health uh, issues look like all come into play. And then as we're getting into our uh, mid-60s, we want to know, should I switch to Medicare? I want to get on uh, Medicare plans. I have maybe some uh, employment still. Maybe I should do it through my employer. So all of those things we're going to address as you kind of transition from you're an accumulator, you're saving, you're trying to figure out the educational needs of the family, you're trying to figure out the tax scenarios, you're trying to figure out what is going to be a large purchase that we might have to make, how's that going to impact my overall plan, and then you're going to decide as you're getting into your 50s and 60s, okay, what are the things that are available to me now that I need to make decisions and understanding how that's going to impact my overall scenario and incorporating that in so that I can have that in my plan. And then, of course, when I get into my 70s, um, recently they changed the rule that I have to start taking my distributions from qualified plans like 401k plans and IRAs when I age, age 72 now, right? And so if I have to do that, okay, how is that going to impact my plan? And where am I going to get my income from if I'm forced to take distributions that are taxable from my pre-taxed accounts? And maybe I don't need the income or maybe I do need the income. But again, by having a, a regular plan and understanding what it's going to look like going forward, you'll be able to incorporate that into the overall picture and have a well-designed understanding of, okay, I have housing expenses, I have transportation expenses, I have food expenses, I have a big one in healthcare potentially expenses, and how am I going to design my income and where are my sources of income going to be so I can incorporate all that and know that I have a plan to be okay and, and accomplish my goal of fulfilling that need and being right and uh, not worrying about coming up short, not having enough income or not enough assets to achieve the goal. Okay. Oh, I think the screen froze here. There we go. So again, we want to know our expenses. Here's kind of a sheet that shows us kind of the percentage when we're trying to figure out as we go into retirement and our uh, retirement years is you know, a lot of people, uh, as are, if they have a mortgage still, which is highly possible going into retirement, um, you know, it's going to be a third of our budget potentially is going to go to housing. If we have cars and we're going to purchase cars or we have auto insurance and we have expenses related to that, then we have our food and then we have our health care. 
And I think what we're gonna find is the healthcare one is gonna get larger and larger. So again, it talks about get, getting organized, right? We wanna identify our goals. We wanna understand our sources of income. We wanna make a plan so we have that in play. But if we don't take into account the expenses and what potentially could be a large expense related to the housing situation we're in or a large expense related to our health, then our plan can fall apart and then we won't be as secure in knowing that we're okay. And again, we wanna understand that and how that fits into the overall picture. So here's a biggie that, um, of course, can happen as we get older, our change in health happens, but it also can happen uh, when we're not expecting it. So let's just discuss a little bit about um, a plan for our healthcare costs and how we need to incorporate that into our overall uh, scenario. So here's a really big number, right? So can I afford to be healthy in retirement is it's estimated that you and I are gonna spend about $295,000 in today's dollars covering our healthcare expenses. So that's a pretty big chunk if we think about, we better have some assets available to help us cover those healthcare expenses. And if we're gonna have assets available or need income uh, generated by those assets to cover this expense, how are we gonna incorporate that to make sure that it's available and it fits into the plan uh, for our retirement income, okay? A lot of people really get caught off guard and they underestimate um, the amount of money that it costs us in our older age for healthcare. And so we really wanna incorporate that into the plan, understand that, yeah, we might not be as active, we might not be spending as much as we were in our uh, younger years, but we have expenses in our older years as we age that we didn't have. And one of them is, of course, this big number right here is healthcare. So again, we wanna understand that and make that really incorporate it. Um, one of the things that comes up sometimes, I actually just the other day we were discussing this is, if you go and you're a snowbird and you go to Florida or Arizona, what is the healthcare like there compared to Minnesota? You know, what are the expenses like there? And if that's part of your plan is to say, I'm gonna winter in Florida, it would be worth a while to have an expectation of what does that look like and put that into our planning process, right? Is to understand, is it equal to Minnesota? Is, is it not equal? Um, what do I have to do to adjust my plan so I know that I have the assets available to cover that, okay? One of the ways that a lot of people feel that they've made it over uh, the line uh, and, and kind of have a good way to pay for their health care is I turned 65 years old and now I'm going to get uh, Medicare, right? So th that is true that a lot of the expenses related to health care, um, once you get to 65, if you can get there, then you'll have a lot lower expense out of your pocket. You'll be on Medicare Part A and Part B. And you see where does the retiree healthcare money go is a lot of it uh, is going into equally between you know part b and part d premiums but a lot of it also is going into the drugs and the uh the pharmaceutical part of our healthcare. and so we just want to take that into account and understand that and address that and some people on the webinar who are over age 65 who are already understanding and dealing with this you know, every October you have a window, you know, from October to January to be able to readdress it and see if you're in the proper supplemental plan, because the supplemental plan is the part that's going to pick up all the expenses that your Medicare coverage itself did not cover. So like some of the co-pays, some of the co-pays on your pharmacy uh, can be very expensive. And again, you want to address that as you get to that age of 65. Okay, how am I going to get on Medicare? Am I going to take the Part D that has pharmaceuticals? And what am I gonna do for a supplemental plan? And I believe last year we did a seminar, a webinar on uh, the Medicare and how that works with supplement. And we'll probably do another one in the fall. Um, so if, again, if that's of a concern to you and you're trying to figure out how Medicare is gonna fit in and whether or not you should stay on your employer's plan or whether or not you should get rid of your individual plan, that's a really key expense and something that's really important in your overall plan because our assets, of course, can deplete rapidly if we're spending a lot of money on medical expenses because we don't have the right Medicare coverage um, in place to help us, okay? Again, so these are the kind of curves that can come our way and we wanna have that in our minds and an understanding that that potentially can happen 
because then if we address it and understand it's there, we can have a plan in place to address and how we're gonna adjust and what we're gonna do if this occurs or if these things start to happen, uh, have a professional, you know, an advisor that you can trust who can help you take care of that and make sure you make the adjustments so you can continue to live a lifestyle that you're hoping you'll be able to do. Again, we wanna make sure that the doctors are in the loop and they understand what's the possibilities and what the expenses are and what the healthcare scenario is gonna be. You wanna have the attorney in the loop for you know, medical directive and making sure you understand your rights and how things are gonna play out when you have estate planning. You have an advisor who does your financials and then you're gonna have the accountant. So we wanna have make, you know, again, we wanna have all of those pieces in place to make sure that they're all working together and everybody is kind of on the same page as we would say, to make sure that um, it's working together and that not one piece is working against the rest of the plan or that it kind of comes uh, unexpectedly and then it derails what you anticipated was gonna be a comfortable retirement and you find out that one of the pieces uh, wasn't quite on solid ground or something came, a curveball came and we weren't able to adjust. So again, we wanna have all of that into uh, an understanding and into kind of our game plan and, and, and knowing that that's coming about. Again, so know our costs of a healthy lifestyle and know if we become unhealthy, what the potential uh, roadblocks or uh, bumps are gonna be to our plan, right? So again, understanding are we healthy or unhealthy? Um, what are our healthcare needs gonna be? Do we still wanna have coverage from our employer? Should we go get a Medigap plan so we can have uh, supplemental costs covered, right? Are we gonna maybe have a health savings account that we had saved up? Um, are we gonna share the expenses, you know, and things of that nature? So again, talking to the professionals, making sure we do all of our research and getting everything in line before uh, a crisis happens. And that way we're in a position to adjust and make sure that we accounted for it. And then we just have to tweak or make the adjustments as opposed to having a huge problem that we can't recover from because we didn't anticipate and didn't think about that was a potential problem to our overall lifestyle and planning. So. Again, get organized, uh, understand your benefits. One of the things that uh, can really uh, derail a plan, of course, is long-term care and not having the assets or the protection if you ended up needed assisted living. And so understand the true cost that that could potentially um, impact our plan, whether or not it's just healthcare, uh, assisted living potentially, or whether or not it's long-term care and having that really eat into the costs. Okay, so a lot of times people are thinking, well, I'm going to have a loved one uh, take care of me and that I don't really necessarily have to address the needs for assisted living or long-term care planning. Uh, it's very expensive. And again, that's one option. And if that's what you choose uh, to be in the plan, then the conversation you know, should take place and you should include uh, who's going to be the caregiver uh, to take care of you, but also who's going to be the financial caregiver, who's going to be responsible to making sure that you have the assets and that the uh, assisted living and the long-term care places get paid and that you still have the resources and how, how is that all going to come into play and that you have enough income and savings to make that happen. Uh, but having that conversation so that it's not a surprise at the end when we find out why well, I thought someone uh, was going to take care of me and then it turns out that person had no intentions of it, and then my plan is not on solid ground because now I have an expense that I hadn't anticipated, um, but I would have known that had I had the conversation and put it kind of a plan together and understanding what a person's goals are with other family members as they're getting older and what their housing options are gonna be, right? Do I wanna age in place? You know, that term age in place, meaning I get to stay in my own home and we have some sort of help uh, for my physical needs and my healthcare needs. Um, and because I'm financially sound, because I did some planning and I was able to do that, great, right? But who's gonna be responsible then to be my advocate if I end up that I can't stay at home and I need some assisted living or more extensive care? And how is that going to affect my finances and how am I gonna pay for that and having that in play, whether it happens or not, just knowing that my plan is accounting for it as a potential possibility, right? Because again, caring for a loved one, the baby boomers, you know, 25% of them are actually taking care of an aging parent. And um, 
we're, we're in a space what they call you know the sandwich generation where they're trying to take care of the parents they're trying to take care of themselves but they're also trying to take care of kids and potentially educating them and doing those things but again you can see 25 percent of the baby boomers when they did the survey are actually taking care of aging parents what it doesn't tell us is to what extent you know again so it's one thing if our parents are still living at home or we're still in home and our children are helping us it's another thing if the needs get beyond that as to what point of course do we transition from well i can't have someone taking care of me in my own home who's a child or a relative because i'm beyond what that person's really capable of taking on on their own and so therefore i need to transition to something that might be a little more of an expertise in helping me and again the other interesting is that two out of three caregivers are women you know so the majority of the clients when you think about who your children are if you have children and you have a really good uh, um, chance that if you have boys uh, you're probably going to end up that they're not going to be as likely to help and take care of you and you have daughters you better find out if your daughter of course is interested in helping to take care of you uh, even though the majority of the caregivers uh, are women who are helping their parents and their aged loved ones. It doesn't necessarily mean that based on their lifestyle that that's something they're gonna wanna do when they really are trying to maybe live their own life and uh, continue on saving for their own retirement and finding out that they're not in a position to maybe be the primary caregiver. So again, all of these things need to be taken into an account and we can really address that when we have conversations about our future planning needs, but our future expectations, right, of how we think that should look. So again, as a caregiver, we wanna be able to provide, you know, in certain ways, but we wanna make sure that we review our existing resources available to our loved ones. And if we're the caregiver, maybe we can get some assistance through Medicare or from uh, social security benefits or from a local agency, right? So again, we wanna incorporate that into the whole idea that maybe it doesn't always have to fall 100% on the caregiver who is a family uh, friend or relative, that it can be other ways. And then also understanding if something does come up from a healthcare perspective in your situation, who do you want to advocate for you, right? Is Do you want your children? Do you want your nieces and nephews? Do you want your siblings? You know, we have to really take into account um, and have that available as to who's going to help us or who's going to advocate for us and putting that out there and putting that in paper, you know, we're gonna have a medical directive, hopefully, that says, this is the person who can make my medical decisions and I want them to advocate for me. But doing that ahead of time will really save a lot of crisis management and a lot of, um, you know, unnecessary uh, burden that requires very quick decisions and scenarios that might not be the best place to be making fast decisions, okay? And then also understanding what our expectation is from our loved ones as far as where we would like to spend our retirement years if we're not able to be independent and we have to go from either home health care from our own home or, or over to transition or maybe we need memory care or some sort of extensive care but to let our children and our family know what our wishes are before we end up in that situation so that we have a plan and everyone knows what that plan is okay so Self-care though is equally important and that's kind of what we're getting at with the idea of having a plan, right? But except that there's only so much we can do for ourselves and there's only so much a caregiver uh, who's a family member can do for us and setting some sort of expectations and boundaries and understanding you know, where we're gonna need help and where that's gonna come from and how that's gonna get paid for potentially in our plan of knowing that we're gonna need assets or income or resources to help us be able to figure that all out. And then what are good places to go to find the help, whether it's nonprofit agencies or the social worker uh, or whoever that might be that can help us, that can give us the expertise to make sure that we get the help so that the burden doesn't fall just on one person. Again, encourage your loved ones to complete key documents. So a key document, of course, for uh, the medical is gonna be the living will, right? We wanna make sure that somebody has the authority to determine if we're in a position where we really um, shouldn't be getting healthcare anymore and that it isn't really benefiting us. Um, the HIPAA authorization, um, if you have children who are adults uh, or if you have a spouse, you may realize, not realize uh, that you don't have access to 
finding out about their healthcare without them giving you the authorization, right? So we wanna get that healthcare proxy or directive that says, yes, I can call in and I can ask questions about my siblings or my parents or my children. That's a really key document. And so again, you wanna get these prepared uh, usually by a professional, right? We wanna go to the attorney and have them draft that. Um, sometimes the hospital or the caregiving uh, facility will have some forms available when it's medical related, but also a durable power of attorney a lot of times would be helpful. And that means when I'm in, uh, unable to perform my own duties on my own behalf, I granted the power to somebody else so they could act on my behalf without running into a roadblock where they don't have access to my income or my assets or they can't access any of my decision-making because I didn't give them any durable power of attorney, right? And the word durable uh, is there because, again, sometimes people wanna have limitations on the power of attorney. Maybe it's only gonna be related to uh, financial assets. And also we want that to end at the timing of someone's passing away, right? So a durable power of attorney ends when the person who granted it is no longer alive. And that's key as well is, you won't have any ability to access any of the person's assets if they passed away just because you're a power of attorney. Then you're gonna need the other documents that are really key in your estate plan, you know, the will, trust documents, and those uh, things that we wanna make sure are put into the plan so that you can accomplish the goals that you think are important to you. And that gets to the legacy part, right? So are we prepared? Do we have documents in place? I, I, I probably, uh, can't emphasize this enough, uh, but you know, a will um, and estate documents are so key, um, regardless of how healthy we are or unhealthy we are, we wanna be prepared for the unexpected because if something happens where we're incapable, it'll be very difficult to get the documentation done. If the documentation is done, of course, ahead of time and we have it incorporated in our plan, then somebody can utilize those documents that we set up ahead of time for just the type of crisis or situations that might arise where we're not capable of making a good decision anymore, right? So again, this is interesting. So 88% of people believe that they actually are successfully prepared, but only 8% actually did the documents that would really make that statement true. So again, if you feel like you're in the situation where you believe you're fully prepared, but you haven't done any documents that are key, then you're probably in that 8%. If you did a good job and you have everything aligned, um, it's always nice just to review them and make sure that you have the right beneficiaries, that you have the right ownership on your accounts, that everything is gonna flow according to your plan when you have sound mind and everyone's capable and not necessarily wait until that crisis happens because then it's usually very hard to make the plan work the way you'd like it when you're not able to make the decisions and that somebody else is trying to do that on your behalf but we didn't do the documentation to make that possible. And that's all about the legacy, right? So conversations, current will, do your accounts have beneficiaries on them? Do you have the right title on your accounts? Did you name a personal representative in case something happens to you uh, and you passed away? Did you name someone who can be the key healthcare advocate for you in case you end up having healthcare issues where you can't make your own decisions or you can't communicate, you know, and then, where can they find these documents? I think I've heard many times uh, the attorneys mention is, don't put them in the safe deposit box because if something happens to you, no one can get into the safe deposit box. The best place to have it is you have a copy in a cupboard or somewhere in the house and you let everybody know if something happens to me, here's where my documents are so you can access them and help me, okay? So that's all really key in sharing that information and everyone understanding where that can be found, um, or at least having the key people who you really trust. If you have some family dynamics where you wouldn't feel as comfortable, but you still should have somebody who's key who understands where the key documents are. Again, getting it organized. We wanna understand how things are gonna transition if something happens to myself or to my spouse or to my parents, right? So making sure that all of the investment accounts, all of the accounts that maybe have a trust title, my life insurance, annuities, how all those complexities are gonna to fit together. And then sharing with the family members or having the pro, uh, professional documentation done. So everything flows the way it's supposed to while I'm able to make those decisions, not after the fact, because then it becomes very difficult and very costly potentially to somehow try to undo that 
and it's so much easier and so much more uh, uh, for the family to get along and make sure that they do what your wishes are if you have everything figured out ahead of time, right? So again, a good way to do that is to have a family meeting, kind of facilitate, have a meeting with them and the attorney or them and the advisor and make sure everyone kind of understands how things are supposed to progress and proceed if in the future something were to happen to you and how the assets and your expectations are that they would get transferred and who would benefit from them and how they would get dispersed. Right. So again, you know, life is the journey. And so we really want to have a trusted support that elevates many of our life moments and makes getting through the difficult ones a bit easier. Yep. So again, by giving ourselves a gift of financial confidence, we can do that by having a plan in place and addressing all these different uh, concerns that we talked about here in the presentation. Again, uh, whether you're working with uh, Bank Cherokee and Cherokee Investments already, whether you have a great financial advisor that you like to work with, the key is to really get that organized and get that together ahead of time so that you know that you have the confidence that anything unforeseen happens, you have a plan for that. Everything goes as you expect it and the way you want it to be planned, great, you have a plan for that. So again, getting that in order as life progresses so that as you transition from one piece of the puzzle to the next, you can see that a plan would really help us in relationship to that. Okay, so I think I'm just gonna take a moment here. Uh, that's the formal presentation of the slides. Um, I think Landon, who uh, is helping produce the uh, webinar, uh, has made available uh, the slides for uh, you to download so you can have them as a reference. Um, and then if there's any additional information that we can you know, provide to you, uh, then just let us know. Um, maybe I'll just take a moment. If anyone has a question on any of the segment that we talked about, uh, go ahead and uh, address it right now. Then you could have that uh, answer and you wouldn't have to uh, postpone it. Um, so I'm just gonna sit here for one second and let people kind of think through all the information. We went through it really fast, covered a lot of ground, um, but again, Feel free to ask a question now. Feel free to email me or call uh, or stop into one of the Bank Cherokees and uh, get a plan together so that you can make sure you're financially on the path that you wanna be and that you have everything in order and uh, get, get the professionals around you that you know will be able to make that happen that you trust. Okay. Um, Landon, do we have any questions coming in by chance? John, we do, oh, you know what? There is one coming in, just one moment. And just to confirm, John is correct. The presentation is under the control panel under handouts, and it's entitled Planning for Life's Big Moments Booklet. So just feel free to click on that link and it will download a copy to your computer. All right, question is still coming in. Okay, can I put all of this together without the help of an attorney? And can I use you or a financial planner to get things in order? So the way uh, to best approach that would be is, you know, so a financial advisor can, as, as I uh, provide the service, can be the lead and we would get together and put together the plan. However, we need the professionals who specialize in taxes to help us. And we need a professional who can draft the legal documents to help us. And so again, that's why it's a team approach is, you know, typically the financial advisor and certainly for myself is we're not licensed to do legal documents. So even though you and I would have the conversation that we want to have a medical directive and we want to have a will drawn up, we're going to need to have an attorney draft that and draw that up. Um, some people might feel a comfortable level going out onto the internet and finding the documents on their own. And the caution there is that, you know, every state has its own rules on what's acceptable and not acceptable from a documentation. And if you've uh, unfor, uh, unfortunately are, come across a document that is maybe not friendly in Minnesota, that'll cause you uh, some problems when you thought you had it taken care of uh, by not hiring the professional. So again, uh, the short answer is yes, I can help, or you know, the financial advisor can help, uh, but that's just one piece of the team, and we still need the accountant and the legal and the other players to help us 
kind of put that together uh, to make sure you have the documentation uh, in order that's really necessary and not having a problem with that documentation later on when you go to use it. Yep, so that's an excellent, excellent point. Um, but I'll say again, people have to kind of evaluate their tolerance for risk of having documentation that may or may not uh, meet the test when they need to go to utilize it uh, in some sort of scenarios. So uh, any other question on there, Landon? Yes, uh, what is the best age to buy long-term care insurance? And so long-term care insurance, if we just take a minute to uh, summarize is, you know, that's gonna be insurance that you're going to purchase to protect you if you ended up in a long-term care facility. And so typically the age that people wanna get it is when they get into their 50s and early 60s. If they can purchase it around that timeline, they kind of have a good understanding of uh, what their lifestyle is gonna look like in retirement. They've kind of understand whether or not they have a lot of assets, don't have assets, maybe might inherit some assets. Um, if you get into your mid seventies and eighties and then you determine you feel like you're, not, you're, you're more likely to need long-term care, the long-term care insurance becomes very expensive and much higher cost. So kind of the sweet spot is gonna be someone who's in their mid fifties to mid sixties um, to be able to utilize and trying to get the long-term care coverage. Um, but to add on to that, because that's a really good question, is the, the size of a person's estate and their desire uh, for a certain level of care is really what also drives that, right? So if I think about that, I'm in, I'm in a situation where I might be okay if I'm spend down and I don't have any assets and I have to go to whatever long-term care uh, nursing facility the state pays for, or I might be the person who says, I want in-home care and I wanna make sure I have assets, um, but I haven't accumulated enough assets, so I need some long-term care insurance to help pay for that, right? Or I might have assets that I don't want to get eaten up from long-term care, and I might buy long-term care insurance. And more than likely that's gonna happen when I get into my 50s and 60s that I'm gonna have a, a net worth where I'm starting to say, maybe I wanna protect some of this as a legacy to leave for my children or grandchildren. And so that's kind of that area, but there's no steadfast rule, you know, as a summary is to say, if your situation is unique or you have a different scenario where it might make more sense to get it sooner or it might make less sense to have it at all, um, then we wanna address that. And that would be incorporated into kind of your financial plan and deciding whether or not it makes sense. So that's a really good, uh, important uh, area to address though, because it can derail a plan pretty fast. Um, we saw you know, the slide, which everyone has kind of their own personal experience, but it's not unlikely now that 90 or $100,000 a year is gonna be used to take care of someone in a long-term care nursing home. Um, and whether or not their assets or their income stream can withstand that is also really important understanding whether or not a long-term care insurance is worthy of the expense, but also whether or not it's necessary to make sure that you protect the lifestyle that you're hoping you're gonna get if that scenario happens to you that you end up in a long-term care facility. So again, that can be addressed, of course, in, in the planning process. Thank you. Um, excellent. Any other question on there, Landon, before we wind up? None at this time. Thank you, John, that was great. Excellent. Well, again, thank you everyone for spending the time with us. As uh, you know, we do these every month. So next month we'll have another webinar. Um, I'm here at uh, Bank Cherokee in all the locations. So you can email me at jkavaznik at securitiesamerica.com. You can go to the bank's website, uh, bankcherokee.com and look at all of the uh, information that's available there. We'll have a recording uh, that we'll send out of the webinar so you can have kind of a refresher. Uh, but again, we want people to get information out of the webinar that you can find useful. And if you have a topic that you'd like to hear something about, just shoot us a message and then we'll be able to do a webinar on that topic in the future and get information to people who are other people who might also be interested. So again, thank you for your time and uh, it's been great spending the last hour with you. Have, have a great rest of the afternoon.
If you have any questions, please contact Jonathan Kavaznik at jkavaznik, that's K-V-A-S-N-I-K, at securitiesamerica.com. ESG Players Podcast can be found on iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and many other platforms through the Backroom Studios. That's Backroom Studios, S-T-E-W-D-I-O-S. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc. Member F-I-N-R-A, S-I-P-C. Jonathan B. Kavaznik, C-H-F-C, Registered Representative, Advisory Services offered through Securities America Advisories, Inc. Cherokee Investment Services, Bank Cherokee, and Securities America are separate companies, not FDIC insured. No bank guarantees may lose value, not insured by any government agency, not bank deposits.